I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. The world we inhabit is not as free, or certain, or safe as you might think. The things that you believe to be unassailably evident are little more than shadows dancing behind a curtain. A masquerade, crafted and dutifully upheld by an organization known as the Foundation. The file you are about to hear contains containment procedures, descriptions, testing logs, historical and in some cases first-hand accounts of the anomalous objects the Foundation serves to secure, contain and protect. Its contents have been thoroughly scrutinized by the Ethics Committee and approved by the O5 Council for release to trusted associates of the Foundation. This is SCP Unredacted. That was the sight. They said it would take a little bit for the tow truck to get here. Robert rubbed his bare face and sighed, phone returning to his pocket. God damn it. Allison sat in the car, frowning as she tried turning the key over and over. It worked just a little bit ago. There was gas in the tank and everything. She hit the steering wheel. Motherfuck it. I guess we're walking. The goat man hobbled to the car, leaning on a cane that had been produced from somewhere. He beckoned Allison out of the vehicle and shook his head. Least I can do for you is show you a quicker way back to town. Shortcut through the forest, if you will. The two agents looked at each other and sighed. Allison locked the door and strode alongside the goat man. Robert followed, with sending Jesse by his side. They walked through the woods, and as they went, the two of them felt a sense of uneasiness. There was birdsong. The leaves on the ground made pleasing crunches as they walked, and the October sunshine was filtering down through the trees. But everything about it felt off-kilter. It took them a moment to realize why. Allison held up her hand and stomped on a leaf with enough force to hurt her foot. It made a crunch sound. She walked on and heard the exact same crunch, as if it were pre-recorded. Robert realized the same thing was happening with the birdsong and the sunlight. He swore that it felt regulated, curated even. Something's askew. The goat man frowned as they came inside of the town far sooner than they should have. He looked back at the two agents and tilted his head. Shouldn't you be wearing face masks? We are. Allison touched her face, realizing the covering she'd had on was gone. She turned out her pockets, the tactical pouch on her vest, and even checked the top of her head. Robert did much of the same, eyes widening. Where's our PPE? We're going to get sanctioned if we get caught without it. Weird fear for it to latch onto, unless... Allison frowned, stepping out of the woods and onto Clark Avenue, which was completely vacant of housing for reasons far too complex to explain in a paragraph. While the Goatman stayed behind, Allison, Jesse, and Robert walked further into town. Clark Avenue connected to Benedict, which connected to Main Street. Up until they reached the light to cross it, the town was abandoned. They all stared with eyes wide with bewilderment as they saw the sight around them. Civilians were going about their business, talking with each other, sitting inside a Rudy's Cafe drinking coffee, going in and out of stores. The Jackson Sloth High School track team, which hadn't been a thing since April, crossed the street in front of them, sounding off a chant. And not a single person on the street was wearing a mask. 
As they walked eastward down Main Street, Allison inspected her phone, going through dozens of websites and search engines. The only thing that shows up for coronavirus is a few Wikipedia pages and something about the SARS thing in 02. She looked around. Did, did the phobic entity somehow unmake COVID? Couldn't have, Robert frowned. What reason would it have? People are afraid of diseases, and it really, really likes fear. I don't know what the hell's happening. Allison. The two agents turned, with sinning Jesse slinking under a nearby awning to hide. Raymond February, who had been in a wheelchair not 24 hours earlier, was running towards them in a pastel-colored tracksuit like he was in a goddamn cartoon. There you are. Sight's looking for you. You weren't with your car. Allison looked him up and down and decided to play it cool. We walked back to town. Robert wanted to... To check up on a costume I ordered, Robert finished the thought. But the witch's hut looked busy, so we just decided to head back to the site. He tilted his head. You good, Ray? Why wouldn't I be? He stretched, cracking his knuckles. You aren't still concerned about the traffic stop. Both of the agents simultaneously thought, traffic stop? Well, we just... Allison barely kept the disbelief out of her voice. Thought you seemed a little rattled from it. Good book says, let bygones be bygones. He shrugged. Anyway, I gotta get to the site. Need to help decorate so the poultry guys doesn't come back. Later. February dashed between them, and both the agents and the thought form traded incredulous looks. As the good book says, Allison frowned. February's religious, but he's not fucking preachy. Robert frowned and looked at Allison, and then around them. It looks sterilized. Boring. The same looping bird song played, and a radio in a car played a song that was only ever played in one of two contexts. That song being Mr. Sandman by the Cordettes, and the context being either Dream Worlds or Altered Reality. Well, that's a sign, I guess. Sinning Jessie frowned, inclining her head to the music. Then she pulled aside her fringe haircut, looking into the window of Lesler's Antiques, which had closed back in March, but was now very much open to check her reflection. The normally cyclopean thought form's eyes, plural, widened. While I appreciate having depth perception, this is very much cause for, she frowned, any amount of alarm draining from her voice. Concern. Robert looked at Allison. Say something snide about my sense of humor. She always had a comment ready about Robert's puns, but no words came to her mouth. Um, tell me how much I stabbed you in the back with the whole nobody thing. Robert should have felt a fury rise in his chest, but nothing happened. Religious opinions? Nothing. Political views? Jack all. What do you think of the Houston Astros? Allison had launched into an Astros-based polemic while she was very, very drunk, but now... I don't really have any strong feelings about them. Sinning Jessie looked between them both, rubbing at her own head. I don't suppose either of you ever read Finnegan's Wake. It's actually part of the basic training when you're assigned here. You have to read it, and then write a response to it in one page or less. Robert looked sheepish. Mine was just the words, Fuck you, James Joyce, repeated until the page filled up. Finnegan's Wake is an example of a work of fiction that doesn't have a plot. And that's in part because it's indecipherable to the point where we can't even determine what the central conflict is. I think that's what's happening here. To demonstrate, Sinning Jesse picked up a piece of concrete that had been torn loose from the curb and tried smashing it against the antique shop's window. Instead, the concrete harmlessly shattered in her hand. This, you call it a phobic entity? I think it ate the conflict in the town. Why would it do that? Robert frowned. It's been trying to make our lives hell all month and now it gives us paradise. It doesn't make any sense. 
Allison rubbed her head. We need to regroup. Get into the site and see what's up in there. She looked at sending Jesse. Probably not a good idea for you to come with. And why not? Because, Allison paused. This was entirely uncharted territory. For all she knew, Robert and herself were the only ones to be unaffected by this particular manifestation. Sitting Jesse and the Goatman could both be valuable confidants, but they would have to actually get into the site. I remember Price told me that you managed to make yourself look like a Foundation agent once. Think you can do that again? If you can spin a yarn about me being an agent, I can make it happen. In all clandestine institutions, the best place to gather information is not in the server rooms or the research labs. Rather, it's in the cafeteria. Site-87's cafeteria was like those at most Foundation sites. Monitors displayed the menu above the serving area, while televisions dotted about the room showed news from around the globe, sports, and the occasional snippet of a talk show. It was here that Toffelmeyer, Allison, and Sinning Jesse, Agent Valancourt to the rest of the Foundation, sat inspecting the room. Nobody questioned the third member of the posse. Why would they? They were all too busy living their best lives. Toffelmeyer frowned in the direction of Dr. Sinclair, who was both out of the hospital and in possession of both eyes. It erased conflict and consequences. What kind of logic is that? Allison looked uneasily in the direction of Drs. Pike and Maddings. The latter was far more relaxed than he should have been. She had always considered Claude Maddings to be an uptight bastard, but he looked like he was actually in love with his wife. Gotta admit, I'm not familiar with the dynamics here. Sitting Jesse looked around the room, but I expected it to be less saccharine and have worse food. Allison looked down at the meal that had been served, which seemed to have been prepared specifically for her. The entree was breadsticks filled with cheese, something she had searched for in vain since high school, with a fresh apple, tater tots that weren't soggy, and pudding that was remarkably unchanged. Most of her favorite foods in one place. You're right on the food part. Allison picked up one of the breadsticks, inspecting it. I know grim countenance protocols mean we can't eat anything in an altered reality, but gah. She threw it back down on the plate. It's taunting me is what it's doing. The thought form frowned as she looked around the cafeteria. You said that Jasper was in the site earlier this month. What did he do? Uh, Robert frowned. Something that looked like him dragged Director Weiss out of a manifestation that looked like the pit. It's just Weiss now, remember? Allison raised a brow. Bailey's acting director. Sinning Jesse looked over Allison's shoulder. This Bailey guy. Ambiguous age, stubble, kind of messy black hair. He's sitting at the table behind us, isn't he? Robert turned. Directors aren't meant to eat with ordinary members of personnel. Allison turned with him and found Bailey conversing with other members of his D&D group, one that had split off from the Maddings after constant scheduling conflicts. Hold on, how do you know what he looks like? There's a Christmas tree farm that opens up to the Yggdrasil with a board of people they no longer serve. His mug's on there. Allison's eyebrows vanished into her bangs. Is that really the least ludicrous lie you could come up with? You know what, never mind. If Bailey's not the director, then who... In response, the intercom crackled. Nino Weiss's voice sounded over it, seeming far too young. Attention all personnel. Despite the objections of the Site-19 memetics department, we are extending approvals for Halloween costumes until the 29th. Turn your forms in by then, or you will not be allowed on the rooftop for the main event. The three of them turned to each other. Since when the hell is the party on the roof? The only reason people go on the roof anymore is to smoke or get to the helipad, Allison frowned. It doesn't make a lick of sense. What's going on here? 
full moon on Halloween this year, Robert ventured. Maybe whatever this is needs people to be on the roof for it for some reason. Sinning Jesse's eyes went wide. The first road ever built in Sloth's Pit. If you walk it on a full moon, you can get to anywhere in the city. Even into the site? Robert frowned. Then, hold on. Why did it need to beat up February to get access codes to the site? He was attacked on the first, and that was a full moon. The codes are changed every week, though. Allison puzzled it out. This thing needed to get into the site in the first place so it could access the new codes every week. But to do that, it would need biometrics, like a blood sample or a retinal scan or... Allison's heart skipped. Fingerprint. She slapped her forehead. Weiss gave it her credit card, and it said it was going to buy a burger. That had to be covered in fingerprints. I'm a damn idiot. But you said she had her clearance rescinded. Jesse's eyebrows raised. Wouldn't that mean she was out of the system? It took over six months for Matterson to have his biometrics wiped after his clearance got rescinded. God knows we haven't gotten better about it since. Robert pinched the bridge of his nose. Okay, so it has the director's biometrics and therefore directorial access, with codes, on top of the fact that it can access any location in the site on a full moon. What does it do with that? What the hell are we missing? Allison frowned, looking at the cafeteria around them. Hey, Sloss Pit, narrative, whatever. I know you don't like us, and we get sick of you a lot, but if you can drop a hint about what's going on, it would be appreciated. Just please? Across the cafeteria, a song played as part of a ringtone. Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt played, as an agent excused themselves to take a call. You're in pain? Robert frowned. Is that what you're saying? Roundabout by Yes played from another phone, as a researcher complained about her ex calling. This is freaky. We're talking to the town. Allison frowned. Can you tell us what's going on in the simplest terms possible? There were several seconds of silence, barring the clattering of silverware, the chatter of researchers, and the chewing of food. Then, Blake Williams's phone played the most ironic song a stealth operative could have as a ringtone. With cat-like tread, upon our prey we steal, in silence dread, our cautious way we feel. No sound it. Blake Williams cursed and got up, apologizing and retreating to a corner of the cafeteria to take the call. Sinning Jesse looked between them, confused. What the hell was that? Narrative Manipulation Technique Omega-3, DQMCA. Direct question, musical cue answer. Allison frowned. What the hell does Pirates of Penzance have to do with anything? Deep below, Site 87, I am forced to look through a cage that nothing anomalous can penetrate. A cage of blessed barrel bronze with charms on every bar and a reality anchor at each cardinal direction. Encased in a field of electricity responsible for the death of exactly 23,028 flies this year. 23,029. Every Foundation site in a nexus has one of these chambers, and each chamber has the same munition within. A nuclear weapon was deemed too inhumane and too impractical for nexuses. Once researchers start interacting with people outside the Foundation, they tend to get sentimental about things. Their favorite coffee shop. Their children's school. 
the value of human life. So, the Ethics Committee commissioned design of the Penumbral Zone Anomaly Canceller and Eradicator, or Penzance device. One flick of that switch, and the whole nexus is erased, and with it, the barrier. When that happens, I will be in two places at once, here, guiding the hand of Nina Weiss, and at the edge of the barrier, ready to escape this damnable locale. I am no number. I have thrown off my mask and clad myself in fear. And what better day for me to show my new costume than Halloween. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like what you hear, follow the link in the description to patreon.com slash SCP Unredacted and help support me by becoming a patron for as little as $3 a month. You can get access to production logs, merchandise, recognition, and even a part in a skip. Regardless of tier, all patrons get early access to every single episode. I don't have the talent it takes to write a skip. All I do is read. Original authors make this podcast possible, so credit to the original author. Their links in the description show them some love as well. Consider becoming a member of the SCP Wiki, upvote their work, and maybe write a skip of your own. Maybe I'll read it here someday. You never know if you never try. The content of this podcast and content relating to the SCP Foundation, including the SCP Foundation logo, is licensed under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0, and all concepts originate from scpwiki.com and its authors. This recording, being derived from this content, is hereby also released under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people, or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel, by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.